Thank you so much, Esther. Uh, I too was taken aback by the Amazon toy catalog. Uh, not, not only the fact that it came when it came, but also that the most gigantic online retailer has resorted to printing a printed catalog, printing the internet out, which I've heard on some commercial is a bad idea. But uh, it's great to see all of you today. Uh, thank you so much for gathering with us uh, on this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, as Richie mentioned earlier, as we lit the first of the five candles that are on the table here in front of me, today is the first Sunday of Advent. And I don't know about you, uh, but I'm still trying to get my head around the fact that Thanksgiving uh, just came and went this past week. Um, and one of our dogs just turned 11. I mean, where, where is the time going? right? Does anybody else feel this way? I have no idea where the time is going. Uh, But regardless of any of our perceptions uh, about the passage of time, the calendar nevertheless rolls on, and today is the first Sunday of Advent, which is not only the season where we remember Jesus is coming to be God with us, but it's also that season of longing and waiting and hoping for Jesus to come again and for his kingdom to come in full on earth as it is in heaven. Now, back in September, we, uh, we ended a teaching series where we were tracing the theme of water through the scriptures with a message about baptism entitled Waters of Baptism. And, uh, and, and in preparation for that message, uh, digging into the scriptures about the ministry of John the Baptist was super interesting. And it dawned on me that not only have we never done a teaching series focused on John the Baptist at Highway, uh, nor at least do I remember hearing one ever growing up in the church, Uh, it it also dawned on me that John's story would be a really interesting lens for the Advent season. God's annunciation of the coming of the promised Savior ended 400 years of silence from the prophets. But it was actually not the annunciation of the coming of Jesus that ended the silence. It was the annunciation of the one who would herald the coming of the Messiah. It was the annunciation of the one who would prepare the way, the one who would be the voice calling in the wilderness. It was the annunciation of John. John chapter one, verse six says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. You know, it's interesting, all four of the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, begin with John the Baptist because he is so integral to the story that each gospel tells. Uh, Like Jesus' conception and birth, John's conception and birth were miraculous. Uh, John was the first person to identify Jesus' identity as the Messiah. Twice, in fact. Uh, Once, amazingly, while he was still in his mother Elizabeth's womb. And then again, later, uh, after he baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And after John emerged from the obscurity of his years growing up in the wilderness, his ministry very purposefully prepared the way for the ministry of Jesus. This year... Uh, Our Advent teaching series, entitled The Herald, will explore how John the Baptist's birth, message, and ministry of baptism heralded the coming of the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus. And to introduce our series this morning, 
Uh, we're going to begin with some pretty remarkable words that Jesus says about John in Luke chapter 7. So uh, to set some context for us, Luke chapter 7 begins with the story of the Roman centurion's servant, who you might remember was sick and about to die before being healed by Jesus as a result of the centurion's faith. Uh, that story is then immediately followed by the story of the widow's son, who had died and was being carried out of the town of Nain for his burial when Jesus saw him and told him to get up, which he did. And Luke chapter 7, verse 16 says that after that, the people were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now, during the time that all of this was happening, John the Baptist was in prison because he had called the marriage between Herod Antipas and his wife Herodias unlawful, which Herodias did not like. She had been married, incidentally, to Herod Antipas's brother before the two had an affair in Rome. And so John was in prison when he heard this news that was spreading about Jesus. And when he heard the news, he sent some messengers to Jesus to ask whether Jesus was indeed the one to come or if they should expect someone else. And Jesus responded to the question of John's messengers by doing the very work of the kingdom in front of them. And Luke chapter 7, verse 22 says that he told John's messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And after John's messengers left, uh, Jesus then spoke to the crowd that had gathered around him about John the Baptist. And his words are pretty extraordinary. Uh, if you have a Bible, accessible this morning, either physically or digitally, and you'd like to join me in the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to Luke chapter 7. Uh, if not, as always, the words are projected on the screen behind me here, both here in the auditorium and in the courtyard for you to follow along as well. But let's look now at Luke chapter 7, uh, beginning at verse 24. It says this. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, it's hard not to notice that question uh, that Jesus asks the crowd uh, three separate times in those verses. Right? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? And, and with that question, right, which of course presumes that the people had gone out into the wilderness to see John, 
Jesus is very much pressing into the people's sense of longing. Right? He's pressing into their sense of, of expectation, pressing into their yearning for hope. Because the wilderness uh, was a deeply symbolic setting in the story of Scripture. Right? The wilderness was where God spoke to Moses in the form of the burning bush, in the form of a burning bush, and revealed his identity as I am. Uh, after God rescued his people from Egypt, he was present with them in the wilderness as they wandered with Moses for 40 years before eventually being delivered into the promised land. The wilderness was also the place where the prophet Elijah ministered and preached. And so Jesus' question, you know, what did you go out into the wilderness to see, would have very much evoked all of those things for his audience. Because in addition to being barren and desolate and inhospitable, that the wilderness was also the place of divine presence and of divine communication and of prophecy. Right? It was an intensely sacred place. And so what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Jesus asks. A reed swayed by the wind? Now, reeds being tossed in the wind would have been a super familiar sight in Palestine, and especially along the Jordan River, where John ministered. But John was no reed. John the Baptist was not a reed. He stood out in the desert landscape. He was anything but common, as the great crowds that gathered around him and flocked to him demonstrated. And the conviction of John's ministry and the conviction of his message were not easily blown about or compromised by external pressures or desires. Right? John's sense of calling and his prophetic message were unwavering. And the fact that he was presently locked up in prison for speaking out against the king's marriage was a testament to that. Right? John was no vacillating reed blowing in the wilderness wind. If the people didn't go out to the wilderness to see a reed swaying in the wind, Jesus asked next if they had gone out to see a man dressed in fine clothes. We know based on the scriptures, on the, on the descriptions of John that we have in the scriptures, that this is definitely not what the people saw when they went out to the wilderness. Right? John the Baptist was not a man dressed in fine clothes. Uh, he would not have made it onto the Preachers and Sneakers Instagram feed. Uh, which, if you've never heard of it, uh, features celebrity pastors wearing ridiculously expensive tennis shoes on stage while they preach. Right? It really exists. Look it up. John, John would not have been featured on that site, uh, nor would he have been seen wearing Gucci or Armani or Louis Vuitton. Right? Rather, to the contrary, the scriptures tell us that John wore a camel's hair, camel's hair garment and a leather belt which was clothing that was not only a great choice for the harsh conditions of the wilderness, but that also identified him as a prophet, since it was conspicuously reminiscent of the garment of hair that Elijah wore. Jesus says here in Luke 7 that those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury live in palaces. And John the Baptist was clearly something different out in the wilderness. And so the people didn't go out to the wilderness to see a reed blowing. They didn't go out into the wilderness to see someone dressed in fine 
clothes. What they had gone to see, as Jesus says in verse 26, was a prophet. It was commonly accepted among the Jews during this time that the gift of prophecy had ceased after Malachi died and was not expected to resurface until Elijah returned. And God's people had been eagerly awaiting that day. And it's interesting, you know, according to the ancient historian Josephus, uh, the rank-and-file people of Israel at this time had actually perceived John the Baptist to be a prophet. The rank-and-file people of Israel thought that John the Baptist was a prophet. And so while Jesus may not be delivering uh, any, any breaking headline news here, what he does say confirms John's identity, uh, which John himself never really did. Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 26, But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And so Jesus confirms there that the drought of prophecy is over. And he also reveals that John is not merely the long-awaited Elijah come again. He's something greater. He is something more. Jesus says in Luke chapter 7, verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now let's stop and think about that just for a second. Those are some pretty extraordinary words from Jesus, right? Among those born of women, there is no one greater than than John. Among those born of women would include pretty much everyone except Adam and his counterpartner in the Garden of Eden, Eve. And so among all those born of women, and there's some pretty bright lights in that group, right? All the pillars for Jesus' audience in the story of Israel, Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, and the list goes on. Among all of those, no one is greater than John the Baptist. But, as if those words of Jesus were not shocking and overwhelming enough, there's more. Because Jesus has a yet. He has a yet. And it's just as extraordinary, if not more extraordinary, as what he says about John. Verse 28, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And so there is no one greater than John, yet for as great as John is, any and all members of the kingdom right down to the least are greater than he. Which is not, by the way, a commentary on John, but instead, I think, a picture of just how extraordinary the kingdom that Jesus came to proclaim and embody is. And so John had come in the spirit and power of Elijah to herald something that was far superior than anything God's people had known to this point. And something far superior probably than they even expected to go out to the wilderness to see. And in the coming weeks, uh, we will be exploring that together. 
And we'll look together at how the extraordinary circumstances surrounding John's conception heralded the coming of Jesus. How the message that John preached in the wilderness heralded the kingdom that Jesus was about to inaugurate and embody. How John's ministry of baptism heralded the Spirit. And then on Christmas Eve, how John's birth heralded the salvation that would come through Jesus. And as we enter into uh, the season of Advent this morning, I want to return to that question that Jesus asked the crowd in Luke chapter 7. Because I think it's a question that invites us to think about what we are hoping for and longing for and expecting as we experience the coming of Jesus this Christmas. And so as we enter into this season of preparation, what are you looking for? What are you hoping to see? What are you wanting to see? What have you come out into the wilderness to see? In the coming weeks, we have some experiences planned to help us to see and experience the significance of this season. The hope and the joy and the peace and the good news and the love that are all embodied by the coming of Jesus. And this morning, I want to highlight just a couple of those. Our theme this year as a church has been on resurrecting our community life together and recovering our rhythms as we continue to emerge from the pandemic. And one very significant part of that for us this year involves sharing a monthly meal together. And because of all of the beautiful things that happen when we gather around the table together. And so on Wednesday, December 7th, we're gonna be hosting an Advent celebration, an Advent community meal, where we'll do all of the things that communities do. Uh, we'll, we'll eat together, obviously. Uh, we'll, we'll play together. We'll sing some songs together. We'll learn together. And then we'll also share some of the kindness of the season in some tangible ways uh, as we intentionally learn about and serve our neighbors who are living in the three city-approved vehicle lots here in Mountain View. So I hope that you'll plan to join us for dinner on Wednesday, December 7th, beginning at 5.30 p.m. for our Advent community meal. And then on Sunday, December 18th at 7 p.m., we'll be hosting our longest night service, uh, which is a really lovely space uh, for all who carry heartache or pain during the holiday season and for all who walk with those who are hurting. Uh, it's a lovely space to sit in solidarity and experience the sweetness of God's presence and the sweetness of the presence of one another. And so I hope that you'll join us for that. And also maybe even more importantly, uh, be thinking of others around you who might be blessed by this space. You know, as I mentioned earlier, those are just a couple of events that are happening. We'll be sharing about some more experiences and opportunities to see and experience the significance of the season in the coming days and weeks as well. In addition to those experiences together, as always, we will also be engaging as a community in a spiritual practice during Advent as well. 
And I want to invite our formation pastor, Julie Peterson, to come and tell us about what that is and to lead us in that practice as we close our time together this morning. Julie. Thank you so much, John. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Advent. Advent is a season where Christ followers around the world enter into the prophetic messianic message that was heralded by John the Baptist. And it is so good to enter into the, this together with you, with our Highway Church family. Amen? Amen. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And as John shared with us, it's a season during which we not only remember Jesus' coming to be God with us, it's also a time of longing and waiting and hoping for Jesus to come again and for the kingdom he inaugurated to come and be manifest in its glorious fullness. As we move through Advent and as we move through our teaching series, The Herald, you're invited to join in with your highway community family by entering into spiritual postures and practices together. And we'll do this as we seek to prepare our hearts for the Messiah's arrival together. Here's how it works. And I'm going to break the tension about those ornaments. <laughs> You're about to find out what they're actually for and the pens. Each Sunday, we will introduce a key word or theme from the week's sermon. And there will be an accompanying formation question and some space during service to reflect on that question and record a word or a brief phrase of response onto that Advent ornament. This week's word and spiritual posture is look. So often Jesus' presence within and around us is hard to discern. It can be difficult for any number of reasons busyness or stress, or physical or emotional pain, or countless other things. Sometimes it can be hard to see or experience Jesus. It can be hard to see or experience Jesus and his coming and his present kingdom. And so as we gather here as a church family and as we stand together here in the divine presence of God, whether you may find yourself in barrenness or pasture, as we stand in, stand in this sacred space that is wilderness together, I invite you to consider what do you long to see or experience in Jesus? Perhaps it's hope or peace or justice or love. Whatever it is that the Spirit brings to mind, you're invited to write a word or a few words, or even draw an image of response to this question on your Advent ornament. You'll find the pens and jars for this. Jake and the band will lead us in a few songs. And as we worship as part of our worship, you're invited to reflect and write or draw on your ornament. And you're also invited to bring your ornament and place it in one of the baskets out front. There's um, one on my left and on my right, and one indoors as well as one on your left for those of you who are sitting outdoors. And these ornaments will be hung on our Advent trees throughout the season later. 
And as we move through the season, we'll see this collaborative, interactive art installation come to life with the reflections and the hopes from our community. Together, we will bring this to life. And so as we enter into the Advent season, again, I invite you to consider what do you long to see or experience in Jesus? May we look for Jesus, God with us, as we enter into the Advent season together. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, and for the way we can see your faithful and enduring love through the promise of his coming and the heralding of his coming and the physical, tangible reality of his life here on earth. Holy Spirit, we anticipate and wait and long for Jesus' arrival and the kingdom that he came to inaugurate. Help us to see the glimpses and glory of Jesus within us and around us this week. Let us see and experience Jesus, a child and also a king, here in the holy ground that is the wilderness. For it is in Jesus' mighty and matchless name I pray. Amen. Amen.